Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Is that coming? Oh, yes, perfect. Ben's all over it up there. He's got it set up. Welcome, everyone. We have some visitors from Hawaii that are back. Good to see them here. Yes. They said basically there was no change in the weather from where they were to where they came to. So, about the same. Um, glad everyone's here. Uh, we're going to be starting a new study. You know, James kind of needed some time to finish out what he was studying. And so we're going to be starting a new class, I guess I should say. We're going to do a few of the Old Testament stories, some new ones that we had not talked about, if you were in my Wednesday night class a few months ago. And then we're going to transition to some of the New Testament parables and stories in a couple of months, probably when we finish a few things out. But that's my, my current plan. I'll try to let you know ahead of time kind of where we're going in the next week or two. Uh, in case you want to be able to to stay uh, ahead and read. Uh, And I may just start sending out an email a few days ahead of time for everyone to to know what that is. So if you also know the way I prepare classes, I don't have 45 minutes worth of material. Tracy smiles when I say that. Good. She wants me to shut up and not be up here long. And if if I just sit here and lecture and nobody comments and not much, then we'll be done early. But that's not an incentive. I don't want you to be quiet so that we're done early. What I mean is I, I anticipate there'll be comments and questions. You know, we, um, we have a class full of people that are uh, Christians, that are Bible scholars, and even if you're just new, uh, the Word is what the Word is. So it's a great opportunity uh, to put in input, to ask questions. Uh, this, it's hard to have a discussion class in this setting. Um, Bob's done it recently. Y'all did pretty well with the discussion class. Uh, and we did pretty well on Wednesday night a few months ago. So that's kind of what we're anticipating is questions and comments and, and learning from each other uh, through the Word of God. So, All right, I think everybody's in and settled, so let's, let's open with a prayer. Father, we love you. We hope that love is evident in how we live our lives and the way that we uh, spend time with your Word and spend time in prayer and spend time with one another and how we act. Help us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. Lord, as we spend time this morning in your word, we pray that you'll reveal to us your word, your meaning, your intent in our lives, that you open our hearts to what you're saying to us and that we'll listen and that we will diligently seek out your word to know how you would want us to live, how you would want us to act and react, and how you would want us to apply your word to who we are and to how we live. Bless our time of discussion and study this morning and as we go into a time of worship, bless that as well, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be moving to Joshua. If you want to be going that way, Joshua 3 is where we're going to start this morning. We'll kind of quickly lay, quickly lay the foundation. We have gone through basically starting with uh, Mo, uh, Abraham all the way through the children of Israel, through captivity, through release, um, the plagues, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, and, and the the rebellion and now they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years but we're finally getting we got to the spies and we're finally getting to where they're going to yay cross into the promised land right um, this is the culmination of genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy now joshua right it is god's people as a channel to deliver jesus one day right and so god's people being delivered into the promised land and who they are and being established as a nation so that jesus can come into this world through the jewish nation right so we make it all the way to joshua chapter three okay 
The people have come up next to the Jordan River, right? And God is, Abraham is gone. Moses, I'm sorry, Abraham's long gone. (laughs) Moses is gone, right? Uh, Joshua is leading the people. And why was Joshua chosen? Why didn't he just randomly choose somebody? Who was with Moses on the mountain at Sinai? How many people? Right, one person, Joshua, right? Who were the people that, the two people that said, hey, we can take this land. Don't listen to the the other spies. Joshua and Caleb, right? So Joshua was prepared 45, 40 plus years earlier. Joshua stood up for God. Joshua is the leader that God wanted. And for 40 plus years, Joshua is getting prepared for this position. And God says, okay, now it's time for you to be my leader. And in fact, at the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, he says, I'm about to raise you up. And the word he uses there is exalt you in front of the children of Israel. Just like I did Moses. See, if you remember, God quit communicating with the children of Israel directly when what happened. Anybody remember what the last thing he directly did with them was? Right before Sinai, right before the Ten Commandments, God speaks to the children of Israel, and what was their reaction? Yeah, you need to talk to Moses. This, we're going to die in your presence. So from that point forward, God doesn't come talk to the children of Israel directly. Right? He uses one person, and that's Moses. Moses is gone. God's going to use one person, and that's Joshua. He told Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece, and to the children of Israel, you will be like a God. Now, he wasn't. God didn't want them to treat Moses as God, but you're going to be exalted and be just. People will know you represent me. When you speak, they'll know it's coming from me. He says to Joshua, I'm about to exalt you. I'm about to raise you up so that the children of Israel are going to know when you speak, it comes from me. See, one of the mistakes that they made, right? So who led the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses, wrong. Who led the children of Israel out of Egypt? God did. Moses was just his mouthpiece. Who led the children of Israel in the wilderness? Moses, wrong. Who's going to lead them over the Jordan River? Joshua, wrong. God has been the leader the whole time. He's just chosen a mouthpiece. And that's going to cost the children of Israel later when we get into the end of Judges and they want a king, right? Oh, you're rejecting the judges. No, that's not what God says. When they rejected the person I put in place, they rejected me, right? So Joshua is leading because God is leading. So he says, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to raise you up. And he says, I want you to get everybody ready. Consecrate the people. Get the priests ready. And I'm going to give you some instructions, okay? You're going to cross the Jordan River. So they cannot get into the promised land without crossing the Jordan River. Does anybody know what time of year they're about to cross into the promised land? Is this a good time to cross the Jordan? Yeah, it's not. In fact, it's the single worst time to cross the Jordan River. Because of the flooding. In fact, it says in Joshua chapter 3, because of the time of harvest, the river was way outside its banks. Annual flooding. So God has chosen the worst time to cross the Jordan River. Why? Yeah, remember the Red Sea? Yeah. 
Why did God, he didn't want to go by the Philistines because he's afraid they'd be attacked, so we're going to take them to the Red Sea. What is the one single event that raises Moses up more than anything else? It's not the plagues. Because the children of Israel don't see Moses in that. They, Moses goes to Pharaoh and talks. Children of Israel don't see a single bit of what Moses says to Pharaoh. Right? But when they come to the Red Sea, who do they see part the Red Sea? Who raised up the staff? That's where God raised up Moses. Guess what? We're coming to the Jordan River at the worst time to cross the Jordan. It is out of its banks. It is flooded. There is no reasonable way. This is not a stream. This is not three feet deep in the middle. There is no way you're going to cross it unless God's the one who takes care of it. So I'm about to exalt you. I'm not going to do it by parting a stream so that you can wade across in six inches of water. All right? I'm about to lift you up. He says he's going to have the priest carry the ark on their shoulders. Right? They're going to walk down to the Jordan, and when they step into the water, God says, I will part the Jordan. And that's what Joshua tells the people. And so the priests go down to the edge of the Jordan, and I've always wondered, it says, when the soles of their feet hit the water. Now, I've seen pictures of the Jordan in this place, this area. It is not a gradual bank into it. Has anybody seen that? It is a drop-off. So you don't wade into six inches, a foot, foot and a half, everybody coming in. You step six feet off into the river. Okay. So at some point, somebody was taking a step that said, I got hundreds of pounds of an ark on my back, and I'm dropping off into a flooding river. Okay. But when they stepped, when it says the soles of their feet hit the river, God dried up the Jordan River. They were able to walk to the middle of the river and stand there. And two to three, we don't know how many, two to three million, four million people crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, okay? So before we get into some of the specifics, I wanted to stop there and say, okay, we, most of us know this story, or at least know the basics of it. What lessons do you learn? What verses do you think of? What stories do you think of when you think of them crossing the Jordan? What can we learn in our lives from them crossing the, into the promised land across the Jordan River. Anything that comes to mind, any lessons we might learn? I've got four or five. Do what? Yeah, you know, I wrote, that's a good one. Nothing too big for God. What I wrote is God is God of creation. So the Jordan River, again, they're not going to get across it on their own by walking. But God created that river. God created the rains that caused the flood. God put his finger by where he wanted the river to go. He drew it out, you might say, right? as the psalmist might point out. And, and God can conquer it. God can say, okay, I put the river here so that nobody can get in, but hey, what? Shoo, you're going to get in. right? Nothing's too big for God. So if that's the story, what does that mean to us? I mean, is he just teaching the Israelites nothing's too big for God? Ooh, trusting God. Well, what do you mean? Is God going to part? What's the you know the the turning in arm so that you can walk over? Yeah. He could. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yes, he could if he wanted to. If he wanted you to walk across. Yeah, but it teaches. If God created the river and he can cross the river, the verses that came to my mind were you know the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. Right. You talked about trusting, and I'm, I might use the word about not being anxious. Not being anxious. Um, 
Do you think God knows about the cancer that's in my mom's body? Do you think he understands how that cancer works? Do you think he understands what causes it? What the natural course of it is? Possible treatments, possible outcomes? Do you think he knows that she could die from it? Yeah. He created that body. So when I pray about or ask about the multiple myeloma, I'm not worried now. That's, that's too big for God. Right, Tracy? I mean, he can't overcome that. Well, he created those cells. He created that process. And oh, by the way, he created the people that came up with the drugs and the people that came up with the treatments. And so to a certain extent, I'm not throwing things out there hoping God can take care of it. No, 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 no. I have a trust that God can take care of it. And he will take care of what he sees fit to take care of. And he will allow what he sees fit to allow. And he, within his active will, permissive will, I think James talked about that recently. And so I should not be anxious that, hmm, can God take care of this worry? You know, so, Danny? So we, we could spend, and I think, I've read, I was watching somebody's sermon series, Antonio, was about the Red Sea, the Jordan River, water, and baptism, right, and the correlation there. But one of the things this naturally takes us to when we talk about um, God can, you know, God's got control over creation, we should trust in God, we shouldn't be anxious, okay, well, can God forgive my sins? I mean, y'all don't realize what I've done in my life, right? And I don't just mean 30 years ago. I mean, this week and last week and last... Can God forgive those? Because I should know better. God, can God's have, does God have the power to do that? Yeah. Yeah, he does. The children of Israel had no ability to get themselves to the promised land. But God got them there. I have no ability to get myself to heaven. But through God, I can get there. And that means that God knows those struggles in my life. He knows what I'm going through. And yes, he still can take care of those sins, those struggles. Nothing's too big for him. Nothing's too big for him in his creation, but that includes me and my sins and my life and my ego and my whatever, right? So. Yes, sir. This is just a highlighter on what you just said. I heard a teacher this week say that everything you read in the historical books of the Old Testament are really commentary on the Torah or on the very first part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you had, I'm trying to think what, if you taught it in a sermon or if you were teaching one, a class when I first got here, and it was about when Jesus calms the storm. Now, we call that a miracle. But all he was doing was showing the power of creation he's always had. He was calming, he, he was calming a storm, which he could have done a million times before at any point because he created the storm, he created the water. You know, it, was, it wasn't that he did something, oh, wow, look at what I did. Oh, I think I'll calm the storm. He's had power over the storm, over the water, over the separation since, since Genesis. And yes, it's the same part that we just see in our interaction. And you also made a comment, and I love that. Imagine being there and seeing that. Because I, I give the Israelites a hard time. They saw the part in the Red Sea, and within seven days, they had rebelled, right? But we see some pretty amazing things in our lives. I mean, I have a life that I'm embarrassed about. But God took, you know, cleansed that. And yet, if I'm not careful, I'll still go back to that. You know, I'll still... I, I, what, what God did in my life is more miraculous than what he did in the Red Sea. Parting the water is miraculous. Taking away sins? That's, uh, that's a level that... I mean, I, I don't know that there's a level of miracles, but... I think there is, right? What he did with my sins in my life is much more remarkable than what he did at the Jordan River. And so, so maybe I shouldn't get, give them too hard of a time when I think about, you know, they witnessed it. Well, yeah, but I've witnessed it in my life because God took away those sins. That's pretty miraculous. Court. Well, the thing that gives us perspective about that is it took the blood of his son to take those sins. Yeah. It wasn't a blonde. Yeah, it wasn't a staff. Yeah, of course, saying the blood of his son to take away those sins. Yeah. All right, so God has power over creation. God has power, God has power over anything. That's a good lesson from the story. What else? Yeah, God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises. When did the original promise about the promised land come about? Did anybody here at the Jordan hear it? Did their parents hear it? No. 600 almost years earlier in Genesis 13, right? We're now quite a few pages over, right? Quite a few events over. 430 years in Egypt, 40 years wandering in the wilderness between Abraham and going to Egypt, which Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? Generations, hundreds of years. Yet, that's nothing to God. He's, he had a promise 600 years earlier. He's fulfilling that promise now. Because he always does. The faithfulness of God should be something that we learn from this story. I'm going to get you to the promised land. No, it's not tomorrow. Well, maybe it's not next week. Maybe it is tomorrow, right? To these people, it was the next day. But to Abraham, it was centuries earlier. But God always, always, always keeps his promises. Uh, I, I was just thinking through a few verses. First uh, Thessalonians 3, 3. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 3. The Lord is faithful. First Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Going back. Know therefore the Lord your God is God. Is faithful to those who keep his covenants. That's the one that he says he's faithful to a thousand generations. God will always keep his promises. So what does that mean to us? From a practical sense, what does that mean to us? When we think of God's promises, what are we talking about for us? Oh, yeah. God is going to come again. Well, but it's been 2,000 years. 
It was 600 for a simple promise to a man in a wilderness. That's okay. He will come again. And that, that shouldn't be a scary thing. You know, to the world, that is a scary thing. But to us, it should not be. Now, when I was young, I thought, oh, I sure hope God doesn't come back. But now I'm like, I'll pray it. I've prayed it from the pulpit here. Lord, come quickly. If he comes today, great. If he comes a million years from now, great. But I want the Lord to come. Yeah, God is going to come again. What else? Tony? Genesis and then in the middle of the Old Testament, Jeremiah and then repeated the New Testament. Is there anything too difficult for God? Is there anything? I'm sorry. Is there anything too difficult? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then nothing is impossible for God. So that's where it goes in the New Testament. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too difficult. He can take care of anything. Yeah. Another promise I think about, no matter what it is, it gets back to our previous point, God will forgive my sins. Now, we have this exception out there of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but then in the very next verse it says, although it's impossible with man, nothing's impossible with God. So there's some who believe even blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which we don't even really know for sure what that is, is still forgivable because it says, even though it's impossible, nothing's impossible with God. It gets back to Tony's point. But that one argument aside, God will take away my sins. God will forgive my sins. That is a promise from God. I don't have to worry about, oh, but this was a bad sin. Oh, but, oh, but, oh, if I'm who God has asked me to be, right? If I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, if I'm a Christian, I'm a baptized believer, God will forgive me. There is no doubt in my mind. I'm not concerned that I'm going to get to heaven. I've said this before, and this is something new that I've thought. We talk about the day of judgment. And as a Christian, when you stand before God on the day of judgment, what sins is he going to bring up? The answer is zero. God doesn't forgive sins on the day of judgment. He doesn't come up here on the day of judgment and say, well, Stephen, this year 87,000 sins, but Jesus took them away. Nope. You'll stand before God and be perfect, not because you didn't sin, but because Jesus, who's standing right there, took those sins away. And if we don't stand before God as perfect, we won't enter heaven. And it's not going to be after we die that we make that change. So God will forgive those sins. He is doing that now. He takes them away now. When I sin that today, I can wake up tomorrow perfect. Not because I'm perfect, but because if I walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of our Savior cleanses our sins. That is a continuing, ongoing, not a questionable, it is a continuing, ongoing now, ever. One of the things I've always followed, I saw this and it was hitting really hard. Because we're humans, we have to, you know, just the way I go to church, I'll just catch, I'll catch a full timer. Mm-hmm. People think that. Like, I'm so horrible. I'm so horrible that God won't have said, right. Mm-hmm. And it says, when God put a call in your life, he's already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> so there's a plus. You're right. You, you are found that he knew that. Yeah. He knew that before you were even. And so you're the only one who's got doubts. He doesn't. Yes, that, and that's a good point, the doubts. So God is faithful. He's going to come again. He, he is faithful to forgive my sins. He will do it. God doesn't doubt. He's not worried about, well, I hope Stephen doesn't do this again. I may not forgive him. You know, well, I'll wait and let him simmer in those sins a little while. Remember? Now, again, please don't let this come across as Stephen is perfect. No, 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 no. Or that Stephen doesn't sin. That my sins aren't that bad. No, 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 no. But it doesn't matter how bad my sins are. God can take them away. He promises that. Remember, he's, we look at most of the New Testament is written by a man who was a murderer. 
Look at the part of the New Testament written by a man who said, I don't even know that Jesus. What are you talking about? Right? Hopefully I've not killed hundreds of Christians in the name of Jesus, right? Hopefully not. But that man writes the New Testament. Yeah, God can forgive those sins. Yeah. Other promises? I think about the promise of heaven. I mean, that to me, you know, like promise of salvation. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. So that's a good one. Any other lessons from this? Do what? The church, the church cannot be destroyed. You know, God needed to get his people to the promised land. Did his people always cooperate? <laughs> Did the people around God's people always cooperate? Did the leaders always cooperate? Did Moses ever make any mistakes? Did his people make it easy on them? They never rebelled. They never doubted, right? Now, God's will in areas does not always come about. Please let me explain. The will of God is that all will be saved. That's not going to happen, right? But God's plan will come about. God was going to get the Israelites to the promised land. He didn't want them to wander for 40 years. But they did. He didn't want some of them to have a plague and die for rebelling, but they did. He didn't want to have to send serpents through to bite some of them and kill them, but he did. But he had a plan to get them to the promised land, and the Jordan River wasn't going to stop it, and their stupidity wasn't going to stop it, and the people around them, and the armies, and the cities. We're going to talk about Jericho, right? Oh, this great fortified city, doesn't matter. God's got a plan. God's church is the same way. So God's plan was to bring Christ into the world, to save the world, to establish his church. That's what we're seeing when they cross the Jordan. Okay? This is God's plan. That is going to happen. That will happen. Now Christ has come, established His church will continue until that second coming. God's plan is not going to change. Russ? So this is really abstract. Yeah. And we don't know, it's already flooding. So now we have a flooded, stacked up river mm-hmm. about to come free after everybody's through. Everybody around knew that the Israelites had just crossed. Yes. And do you think that put people in fear? Do we see as they go into the land that they're feared? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have people that send out, they want to make, they want to make a truce. Don't let them come attack us, they're going to kill us. Yeah. God is even in accomplishing something beyond what his people see. So that plan of his is bigger than even what Joshua can see at this point. Even what the people can see, right? Oh, we got to cross on dry ground. Yeah, but now millions of people around you are going, oh no, this God's, a, this God's pretty powerful. Oh no, we need to be careful. So if you go to attack somebody and they're scared of you and trembling, does it help you when you attack them? Yeah, it really does. God has given them the ultimate military advantage. Not that they need it, but look at what he's done. Now the people can feel very confident because when they go spy out the next cities, those people are trembling. When they see those leaders of those cities come to them, they're begging not to be destroyed. Yeah. God is establishing his plan and his people are going, wow. You know, and I think that plays into one of them I had written down. Um, We should do it God's way. Okay? So... Are there other ways to cross a river other than dry ground? 
Can you take a boat across? Can you have some ropes? Can you wait till it goes down and wait across it? Yes, there are parts of the Jordan you can wait across, waist high or so, during certain parts of the year. Yeah. Could you maybe build some chariots or a barge or, oh yeah. Could you go to a different, yeah, there's lots of ways to get across. But God had a reason. Part of it was to establish Joshua. Part of it was to send shockwaves through the land that was coming. Part of it was to establish him and his power. You didn't accomplish this. God had a reason for doing it his way. And he said, this is the way I want you to do it. Now, why did the priest have to step into the river? That seems, I mean, if I were doing it, I wouldn't do it that way. Hey, you, I hope you can hold your breath. Can you hold the ark and hold your nose at the same time up front? You know, I don't know. God could have done, why didn't he have them step to the edge of the river and say, good job, I'm going to part it for you. You can walk across. No. God had a reason for doing it. Joshua doesn't see the whole picture, right? He doesn't see the people around him. The people don't know the whole picture. But God has a reason for doing it. Part of it was to test them. Part of it was to show those around. God has a reason for doing a lot of things. And so the answer is, uh, we should always do things God's way. When God gives guidance, when God gives direction, so he says, I want you to have the priest hold the ark and step into the river, and I'll part it after they step into the river. Okay. If they had gone to the edge and said, you know what, let's wait for God to part it, they might still be waiting to this day, right? Who knows? God had a reason. And so to me, that tells us, hey, that could be applied to a lot of other things. You know, I think of Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are so much greater than your thoughts, right? My ways are so much higher than your ways. And what that says to me is, despite our arrogance as humans, we don't always know what's best, do we? We don't always have the right answer. We don't always have a better way to do it. And a lot of the problems I see in churches, it starts with, well, I think we should blah, blah, blah. Now, does that mean we don't have opinions? No. But when God gives guidance... Nobody else's opinion matters. Now, there are times, okay, we've said this before, the classic example is, what time do we meet on Sunday mornings? Does it matter? No. We can meet at 5 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, it doesn't matter. But do we meet on Sundays as God's people? Yes. God told us he wants us to come together. He told us how to worship him. He gives us examples of taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. So we know we need to be there. So that part's not negotiable. Well, it would be easier if we did it on Saturdays. Well, that's not the question. That was never part of the discussion. But can we do it at 5 a.m.? Yes. Yeah, we can. It doesn't matter. Do we do it for 10 minutes or 10 hours? It doesn't matter. Well, there's practicality, but it doesn't matter. But when God gives us a way to do it, you know what? I think we ought to do it that way. Otherwise, we're going to be standing on the edge of the Jordan waiting for it to dry up. Right? So for us, there's a lot of examples for that. We think about the way he set up his church. Right? Why did he set it up that way? We may or may not understand every aspect. Why are we, why are we going all the way? Why do we get dipped in water? I mean, the Israelites crossed on dry ground, and maybe they just got sprinkled. Why can't we get sprinkled, right? Yes. No, he tells us how he wants us to be baptized. And it doesn't make sense that being dipped in water is that important step. But it does when you think about the way God created water, Red Sea, the Jordan, but we do it God's way because God is God. His mind is higher than our mind. Right? Um, I love the 
I'm going to wait. Wait till it's dry. Yes. And so that was my first lesson I have from this. Stephanie brought it up. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is what guides us. Okay. Somebody had to step into the water, didn't they? Somebody had to have the faith that I'm going to step off this shore. I'm going to step into the water. And oh, by the way, they are going to drown. The ark is not 50 pounds. Have you seen what it's made of? We don't know for sure. It was several hundred pounds, and you got these holes through it, okay? They are going to drown when they go into this raging, flooding, not a stream. It is an overflowing banks, flooding river. They will not survive it. And somebody took that step. Somebody said, they didn't say, I believe God can part the river. I'm going to come to the edge and watch him part it, right? That's uh, Stephanie's point is, Abraham didn't say, I believe God can raise Isaac, so I don't need to kill him. He was ready to kill him. Yes. Faith without works is dead. Yeah. So when you look at Hebrews 11, that great chapter on faith, what you see is by faith the actions that they took. Faith led to obedience to actions. It is the same reason, and I do not in any way attack other religions, but it's the same reason that we don't say, I invite God into my heart through some prayer or magic, and I'm saved. If I have faith, the way I'm saved is through obedient action. Israelite crosses the Jordan through obedient action. Faith, they are walking by faith, not by sight. I don't know what Tony's going to preach on today. I saw the topic. I liked it. I don't know if you look ahead. I always look ahead. I encourage you to always look ahead at the topics of the sermons, just to be thinking about it. But it's talking about where we're going to be focusing. Is that correct? Eternal, right? That's my lesson here. I should, because you say, okay, Stephen, as a modern day Christian, how does this lesson apply? Because God has not come and directly told me to cross the Jordan, to kill my son, to overtake a country, to lead people, right? But what he's asked me to do is to faithfully follow his commands. So that means I'm doing things that the world's going, you're an idiot. I'm doing things that may not make the most financial sense, may not make the most safety sense. And it also means I'm doing things because I'm not walking by sight. I'm looking to heaven. That's the difference. Well, well, what you're doing may lead to your death, right? So Emily and I have talked about this. Um, first of all, I'm way overinsured, so leading to my death is not something she worries about, but that's a separate discussion. Um, I'm at a point in my life to where if our choices about where we live and things we do lead to my death, that is okay. I don't have kids at home. My wife was going to be taken care of. She will be a rich person if I die, so be, there should be an investigation. But there are things I can do in my life, right, that because I don't care about this life. Oh, that doesn't mean that I don't want to lose weight and be healthy and go on vacation. But I don't care about this life because I'm walking by faith, which means my eyes are focused somewhere else. My eyes are looking somewhere else. See, the Israelites' eyes weren't looking at the Jordan. They were looking at the promised land. So this is just something God told us to walk through, right? I'm going to step out. The Jordan's just here. It doesn't matter whether it's water. God controls it. He created it. He wanted me to take a step. That's fine. I'll do it. I'm going to take that step. 
Again, they could have been looking at the promised land and stab over here. Well, when God parts it, we'll go. No, they'd have never made it, right? So I'm looking at the promised land. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at heaven. So all these things along the way, they just don't matter. I'm not belittling when we go through hardships in our life. I'm not belittling when we have sickness, when we have struggles, when we have trials. But at the end of the day, I'm sorry they don't matter. At the end of the day, what matters is that, and that's the promised land. That's what matters. That is hard for me to do because if you ask me, do I want my mom, you know, my mom is probably not going to make it another year. That's my guess. If you were asking me that, do I want her to pass away? No. But I've watched my mom's life for the last 80 years and the type of person she is and the Christian life she's lived. And there's a part of me that wishes that she didn't wake up in pain every day from the lesions in her bones, right? And so if she passed away today, while I may shed a tear, she told me, Stephen, I'm going to heaven. I'm fine if that happens tomorrow. I'll spend time with my grandkids. She didn't say kids. She said grandkids and great-grandkids. But that's, I'll spend time with my great-grandkids and my grandkids until then. But that's fine. My dad's the same way. My dad is miserable every day in this body. He has a, a back that just cannot be fixed. And he said, I will live here doing what I'm doing until I go home with God because that's where I'm going. This stuff is just a walk along the way so that I can get to the promised land. It's across the river. I got to get over there. And so if I'm walking by faith, no, God's not called me to step into the Jordan River. He's not called me to sacrifice my son, but he's called me to keep eyes on that promised land, not on today, this week, next month, my retirement, you know, those things are not to be completely ignored, but they are not what matters. And so then we get back to all the previous things. So I don't get anxious. I trust God. So I don't get anxious over things. I don't worry about whether God's going to keep his promises because he always does. All of those things are going to happen because at the end I'm focused over there. Right? I'm focused on the promised land. So I'm going to cross the Jordan and maybe I'm, in, maybe I'm in a point in my life where I haven't even made it to the Jordan yet, right? Or maybe I'm in the middle of the Jordan. Or maybe I'm about to take a step out on the other side. But either way, my eyes are focused over there, not right here. I walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5, 7, where we walk by faith, not by sight. Pretty straightforward verse, right? That's what he's telling them. I want you to take a step in the Jordan. But it's flowing. I want you to take a step in the Jordan. But I'm going to drown. I want you to take a step in the Jordan. But i got hundreds of pounds on my shoulder. I want you to take a step in the Jordan. But can't we do it another way? I want you to take a step in the Jordan. Okay. And they took a step in the Jordan. And they crossed. And then the last one, we'll run out of time, so we won't have much time for it. But uh, God always provides a way for his people. His church is going to endure. His people are going to endure. Uh, he tells us there's no temptation greater than you can handle, right? I'll always give you a way out. Um, so these people can't get to the promised land, but he provided a way through the Jordan. They couldn't get out of Egypt, but he provided a way through the Red Sea. We can't get to heaven, but he always provides us a way. There's going to be things in my life that are going to be trials, troubles, tribulations. He will provide a way. Now, that way may not be that I'm going to take that trial away from you. Right? I'm not naive. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Did he take the thorn in the flesh away from him? He said, no, but I'm going to give you strength. Right? James tells us... 
you should be happy when you endure trials of various types. Right? So that way through it may not be, oh, you don't have to endure hardship. It may be, well, I'm going to strengthen you so you can survive that hardship. I'm going to give you support from a church or from a family. I'm going to give you my strength of support. I'm going to take that hardship away, or I'm never going to take it away this side of heaven, and then you're going to get relief. Right? But God always has a way for his people to get to where he needs them to be. Always. There's always an out. There's always a way. There's always uh, a solution. All right. Wow, we made it through like six verses. We are flying, Russ. We're on fire. This rate in the Old Testament will finish in 2028. No, I'm kidding. Uh, next week, we'll talk about the stones they set up as memorial. We'll talk about Jericho, and we'll talk about maybe the sin of Achan if we get to that. So that's kind of where we're headed towards. Any other last comments? It's very exciting. Very exciting? Yeah. Good. I mean, looking at looking, Yes. Yes. I agree. That should be what's, what keeps us going, isn't it? Yeah. But it's so easy to get bogged down in what's going on around me. And please understand, this is something I struggle with because I have a job and I think about retirement. I've got a relationship with a wife that I'm keeping hopefully strong, right? Kids, I have health issues. You know, those are all things I have in my life. But it is kind of nice if we somehow can train ourselves to keep looking towards the promised land. It's hard to do, though. That's easier said than done, isn't it, Bob? easy to say oh just keep your eyes focused over there but it's hard when the bills are coming in when the doctor says something yeah all right any other questions comments laments interjections thanks everybody mm-hmm.